Hi everyone, what's happening? I'm Bernie. And I'm Nicole. Welcome to Woke Woke Docs, a podcast about the lives of women of color in medicine. All views are those of the person speaking, not their employer. For today's episode, we're hella excited to talk with Dr. Ayesha Mays, who is the medical director of Dream Youth Clinic in Oakland, clinical researcher at UCSF's Bixby Center for Global Reproductive Health, and associate professor at the Joint Medical Program. And from all the incredible work she's done in clinic and research, let's also not forget that she somehow finds time to do great advocacy work addressing sexual exploitation of girls of color in Oakland and is possibly one of the most fashionable doctors you'll see around. We hope you enjoy this conversation with Dr. Mays. Aisha, thank you so much for being here. Um, We are so excited to hear more about your experiences and really just have you speak your truth about um, your, your life journey as a woman of color in medicine, as an inspiration for both me and Nicole, um, also as women of color in mm-hmm. our own medical journeys, and I feel just like an all-around badass. <laughs> <laughs> so um, to start this, we just wanted to go very basic. Um, if you could pick three words to describe yourself, what would you pick and why? I like that question. I guess I just want to start off by just saying thank you both for having me. And even before that, really thank you for even creating this space and creating this podcast to um, to talk with women of color in medicine and um, talk about our experiences and um, and really sort of spread spread the word nationally you know I mean we're here locally in the Bay Area but then the fact that this has such a broad reach nationally and globally and it's something that has um, been needed for a long time so thank you for putting in the effort to do that Mm -hmm. Um, so I guess so three words that would describe myself I like this because it makes me, I like sort of introspective (laughs) activities. We were going for that. (laughs) This sort of makes me think about, you know, my concept of who I am and maybe where I'm going or maybe where I'd like to go. I do a lot of that sort of reflective um, thinking. So I think that maybe the first thing I would say, and this is, these are sort of two words, um, free spirit. Mm I... I think of myself as uh, someone who um, doesn't necessarily play by the rules most of the time. Um, I, I respect I respect rules. I think that they're you know that um, a degree of order is important, but I don't ever think that a rule um, is absolute. <laughs> I'm always like one that. like, well, in this instance, <laughs> this rule would not apply. Or what if? 30 years later when this whole structure is different. So I I remember my mom when when I was a kid, I've been like this for a long time. So I remember being like a young person and my mother always um, feeling really challenged by me sort of butting up against the rules or always wanting to sort of talk about the rules and um, and make some modifications. <laughs> so I think that, you know, my the free spirit spiritedness is something I really enjoy and um, something that has really served me well, even in, along this this life of medicine, too. Um, I would think say the second thing is probably tenacious um you know it's it's kind of hard to, to talk about yourself I mean we um I think as women we're often not encouraged to 
um, sort of highlight some of the things that we feel proud of about ourselves or um, people may think we're, we're bragging or being boastful or or not being humble. And, and so I think women are often not encouraged to sort of highlight some of those positive things. So I've even having sort of some struggles even talking about this, but um, I feel like I'm a super go-getter. <laughs> <laughs> like if I want something, I'm mm. going to really um, work as hard as I can to, to make that happen. Um, and, um, and that tenacity can be uh, a, a challenge for me even at times. Um, uh, it's re- just really a part of my spirit. And I think that I had to come to a place where I fully embraced it um, because it was just, it's just a part of who I am. Uh, and I think, again, that's also really served me well and something I really sort of enjoy, but also something I really know about myself <laughs> 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 that, um, um, and it's, it's, it's helped me to sort of make, uh, some of this road a little easier because I realized I'm like, if this is something I'm really feeling like I really want, I need to just go for it mm-hmm. and not sort of delay it or think about maybe another path. that might be a little bit easier. Um, because I know that my spirit's always going to come back to that thing that I want. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think the third thing is balanced. Um, and again, that's just part of my spirit as well. Um, I so the road in medicine can be very intense and doesn't always lend itself to having balance. It's really easy to um, sort of work, work, work. And I think that's just just American culture in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one that works the hardest or seems to be working the longest can often get the prize. Um, but I think we have to really think about what that prize is, you know, is the prize um, this sort of tangible accolade from the work product or from um, the work community, or is it um, actually feeling like you were able to um, meet a goal that you that you had set out? Um, mm-hmm. And so for me, in order for me to balance is just really important. Like I have to have um, time and space for all of the things that matter in my life including uh, my family, including my partner, including friends and art and my community and um, all the things that just invigorate me. Uh, And that's, again, just a part of who I am. So even the times where I try not to be so balanced, um, my my spirit will literally sort of shut down. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, it's time to take a pause. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've I've learned to to submit to it and to really Mm -hmm. listen to it. Yeah, that's super insightful. I felt like a lot of what you were saying, I've been thinking about this summer and it's only been year one of medical school, mm-hmm. but really is like, what what goals are you setting for yourself? And are those goals that you're setting for yourself or is those things that you're meeting to check off a list? Right. Um, and I think that that's really something to consider mm-hmm. um, and take a pause like every month almost mm-hmm. to really just be like, okay, why am I working so hard? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. And if, and what I'm working so hard at, is this what I really want to be doing? Right. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's, there's always things that we have to do that we may not like so much. Um, and as long as they're in line with your larger goal, then that's fine. But then there's always, we're always given opportunities to do things and maybe those things may not necessarily be so in line with the ultimate goal and mm-hmm. it might take away from you being able to to do something that is in line with your goal so i think it's just really important to kind of 
sort of know where you're going in a sort of a loose way, a free spirited yeah. kind of way, so mm-hmm. that there's always room for um, for a next version or sort of sort of changing things. But then also just really focusing on I'm gonna sort of be doing things that are in line with where um, where I'm wanting my pa- the path of my life to go right now. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Listening to you, I'm. Um, so struck by how in touch you are with what gives you energy and what doesn't. Mm. Um, And throughout your journey of medicine, has that always just been something you are very in touch with constantly? Have like you built in a routine with that or um, in different stages in your journey of medicine, has that, um, has it been more difficult to really be in touch with that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, it hasn't always been this way. Absolutely not. You know, I think for most of us, or at least a lot of us who are on this path to medicine, there's a there's a very sort of detailed script, a detailed Mm -hmm. sort of path that we take. Um, And um, often there are not a lot of decisions that sort of you can make sort of independently. Like, you know, you have to do this many years of this type of schooling and then you go for this training and you do this training. And so you're just kind of going along the path. And I think it's really easy to to just sort of you know, put your head down and kind of be on the path and um, and maybe be experiencing some things that are not as pleasant and just deal with it. And, um, and we all sort of do that to some extent. Um, I think early on for me, um, the school, the medical school that I attended was, um, had a pretty non-traditional curriculum. And I think at the time I didn't realize or didn't uh, wasn't going into it knowing that that sort of non-traditional curriculum um, fit my learning style the best, although it did. Um, I was really fortunate to um, have chosen a school that really fit the, my my lifestyle. And I don't know that I um, sort of went into it with that sort of directed intention. Um, but because there was this non-traditional um, class setting, there left a lot of space for um, for balance, and so I remember there was a uh, a gym right across the street from our school, and um, a lot of people sort of signed up for gym memberships. So I signed up for a gym membership, <laughs> and and um, like I remember right after class, we ended class at twelve noon every day, no matter what. Right after class, we a lot of us would go straight to the gym, and so like that was just kind of my routine. After class, go to the gym for an hour, and then you know you have time to study or you have time to like go for lunch, or and so there's just there was just a lot of space that was made and I think that was um, sort of the beginning of sort of setting up that balance Um, it was more difficult when I was in residency Um, the hours uh, the hourly sort of requirement and what's needed for resident education can be can be really grueling and that's been changing a lot too and I think that just the in medical education sort of knowing that it's not healthy for residents to Mm -hmm. be fatigued and it's not healthy for them it's not healthy for patients number one Um, and so a lot of things have changed but when I was a resident there was still this 80 hour rule which actually was I mean was better than what you know even people who had done residency five years before me where there were no rules there were no maximum rules Um, and so you know you think about working 80 hours a week which is twice um, the number of hours a week in a, a regular work week, a regular U.S. work week, um, and that was the max. And so we were all always pushed against that maximum. And so I really felt a lot of fatigue. And I think that that's when I sort of my body started talking to me um, and my spirit around um, this just didn't feel right. Um, 
really only having enough time to focus on this one very intense piece of my life. Um, and I struggled. Um, residency in general, I didn't struggle so much in terms of patient care, but in terms of um, emotionally how I felt during that was definitely a struggle. Mm -hmm. And I remember um, connecting to um, some trusted attendings I had at the time and really talking to them about how difficult that was for me not to have time for myself or time to see my friends or time to visit friends and even time on the weekends. Um, and, and really getting some help with that in terms of really being able to lay out a plan for, um, for balance. Um, but it was during that time during residency that I actually made a promise to myself that again, this was part of my ultimate goal. And so I really needed to be a part of this. So, you know, so finishing residency or not finishing residency was not an option. So, but knowing I have, I'm in this for this amount of time, but when I finish, I have more freedom to choose the type of career that I will go into, the type of sort of medical setting that I will be in because I have to have that balance. Um, yeah, so I think that's what really solidified it for me. Yeah. Um, so for our listeners who are just starting this medical school journey um, or, you know, are thinking about it, how did you decide medicine and how? Mm -hmm. what was your journey up until medical school residency mm -hmm. now? Well, you know, it's funny because <laughs> as long as I can remember, I wanted to be a doctor. <laughs> like a very long time. It's funny because I see friends who, um, so my family, we grew up, I grew up in Kansas City, Missouri. We moved to Oakland when I was um, 13. And um, I still have a lot of extended family who live in Missouri. And so we'll go back every few years to visit family. And every now and then I bumped into people I've gone to like elementary school with. And they're like, I remember you said you wanted to be a doctor when we were in the fifth grade. And now you're a doctor. So I just, it's just really funny because it happens it, all the time. Yeah. <laughs> we made it. So I think probably, I mean, I decided really early on and then, for definitely sort of superficial reasons. I um, have a cousin who is about three years older than me and she was like my big sister. We all grew up together and um, I remember her saying that she wanted to be a doctor, probably also for you know reasons that she didn't, wasn't sure about. And so because she wanted to be a doctor, I was like, well, I'm gonna be a doctor too. And it, so I was really just sort of following her. Um, and, um, but I think that there was, there were definitely subconscious influences um, I come from a really long line of um, educators. So my grandfather was a principal. He was actually the first African-American principal of like one of the major high schools in Kansas City. Uh, my grandmother was a teacher. Um, my aunts, I have many aunts. I, have, I actually have seven aunts and uncles, and most of them are in education, either a high counselor or principal. I have a couple cousins who are professors, universities. And so um, education was just something that was um, just part of our life. And I don't even, it, it wasn't really, I mean, it's something we talked about, but it was really just something that, that we did, you know? So, mm -hmm. um, so it was from early on, uh, our family always thought about like, what do you want to do? Like, what's going to be your career? What do you want to do when you grow up? And, and making, and you know, where are you going to go to college? And so those things that we sort of always talked about. And I also had some folks in medicine in my family too. Um, my mother was a nurse. 
Um, I would um, watch her. Um, we were really active in our church growing up. And um, whenever sort of things happened to people in the congregation, she was always right there sort of helping out. And um, and then people would call us at home and ask, them, ask her about their medication. I mean, we know that... Um, People, especially people of color, often um, get sort of different care when they go to the doctor. And so um, I think that especially around sort of pharmacy and how to take medications, um, often um, prescriptions can be written and people don't know how to take those medications when they get home. They have no idea like what it's for, what are the side effects. Mm -hmm. And so people will call my mother all the time and have her explain their medications to them. So I think just having that sort of influence and I was really able to see how um, I could really help people in medicine. And um, and how it made it would it made my mom feel good, but also made people feel good. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's what really made things stick. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And during maybe the pre medical journey and medical school and residency, mm -hmm. um, were there certain sources of support, mm -hmm. or um, also are there situations where you really find that there was a lack of support in a certain area? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. And, and I definitely felt both of those along the way. So like I said, we moved here from to the Bay Area from Kansas City, Missouri, when I was 13. We moved to Oakland. And Kansas City and Oakland are very similar in terms of socioeconomic demographics at that time. Um, very, um, both sort of very sort of deep African American communities. Um, I remember again, this was, you know, sort of back in the eighties, um, and moving from Missouri to California and feeling like terrified by that because the only <laughs> thing I had seen about California were like from movies, you know, and I was like, oh my God, there's going to be gangs there. Like, what am I going to, what are we going to do? You know, I just, I had no like frame of reference aside from like Hollywood around California. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was like pleasantly surprised to see that Kansas City was very much like, Oakland was very much like Kansas City. Mm in terms of um, the school we went to. And so I we went to school um, out back in Oakland. I was in middle school and, um, and had lots of friends and were in the same types of classes, same types of honors classes. And there were lots of black students in my class. And so it was just lots of black teachers, which is very similar. Um, and then when I was in high school, we actually moved to the South Bay. Um, and that's that was probably the biggest culture shock for me, much, mm -hmm. um, much bigger than moving from across the country. Um, and it was really around sort of the ethnic demographics, but then also how, um, so I was in a, a much more ethnically diverse school, um, which I wasn't used to, but I was, you know, fine with. Um, but the main thing was really how students of color were treated in the school, mm -hmm. um, which I was not used to at all. I mean, I you know, was I grew up with like a long line of educators, had gone to, always had gone to um, predominantly African-American schools. Um, and there was just no there in there were some students in my in my in these schools that weren't doing so well there were some who were doing well there were some who wanted to do well and there's some who didn't want to do well and so there was just and but then but then to go to a school in the south bay where and um where the african-american students were all sort of lumped into this um category of sort of low achieving um, students who who don't who are not really committed to education, um, and where teachers and the administration just didn't think that um, the black students were smart. 
that was a huge shock to me. I mean, something I was not prepared for. Mm-hmm. Um, it was not something that was in my life experience at all. Um, and I felt really upset by that. I think that's where I really start to feel um, sort of the anger around um, around racism. And I, you know, I, and I had no language or even sort of thought about it then. But as I've gotten older, I'm like, oh, that was racist, you know. <laughs> and and it's not even anything that I had had words for mm-hmm. then. Um, and so I really had to uh, to really fight for the things that and the opportunities that I wanted in high school, um, sort of fight to be in the honors classes and to um, to ask the teacher or their opportunities that they knew about because they weren't just going to go come and tell me like they would tell other students. And it was really frustrating, actually. And um, I remember in high school, I always had a lot of friends and, you know, really easy to talking to people, making friends. And when I was a junior in high school, I was like, I'm going to run for class president because this is crazy. You know, so I remember going around, like talking to all yeah, the students so. and telling them why I was going <laughs> to class president. And the person who was running, for, who had been class president, like in our class, like every year, like she didn't do anything. And so I just, you know, and so I made this big campaign and I actually won. And, uh, <laughs> and, and so that was, that was sort of really nice and, and redemptive you know and it just made me feel like you know all that effort and um and sort of using that anger in this space and be like okay we can really change things and um but it also really made me realize the importance of support and the fact that um oftentimes students of color don't get support just because they're students of color Mm -hmm. like I remember being in high school and coming back to Oakland to go to the Upward Bound um, activities that they had. So mm-hmm. Upward Bound is a program that helps support um, students that might be in low-income neighborhoods or l- low-resource schools around um, college and, like, get- getting into college, staying into college, and mm-hmm. um, positive sort of college matriculation. And so they had an Upward Bound program here in Oakland, but we didn't have Upward Bound in the South Bay because I was at a high-achieving mm-hmm. school district. But um, you never they don't really talk so much about the um, marginalization of students that can be in so-called high achieving school districts. Mm -hmm. And so I remember driving to upward bound programs in Oakland because that's where the students of color were actually embraced and they would get information about college. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was like really ridiculous. Um, But it did remind me about the importance of support. So I decided I was going to go to a historically black college um, because of that experience in high school. Mm -hmm. Um, And so when I started to apply for college, I only applied to historically black colleges. And I ended up going to Clark Atlanta University in Atlanta. And it was an amazing experience. I would do it over again so many (laughs) times if I could. (laughs) Um, But it was really there, you know, again, meeting other black students from around the country who had had different, you know, varied experiences. Some had gone to like private schools and prep schools and some had gone to public schools. And again, so that same sort of varied experience that I had in my early educational years Um, and then just tons of support. Um, and not the kind of support like, oh, you're a student of color, so you might need, you know, more time <laughs> on the test or you may need additional notes. It's like, no, just like being treated um, like um, like a student who's, mm-hmm. you know, sort of going through classes like everyone else um, who might have questions every now and then like everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But I remember sort of knowing my professors and them sort of connecting me with opportunities during the summer. They, they all knew I went to go to medical school. And so they're really keeping their eye out for like different things I could do, different types of summer activities. Um, and it was during um, school that the um, one of the dean of admissions from the university where I ended up going for medical school, I went to Case Western for med school. Um, and, the, and the dean of admissions at the time was very committed to diversity. Um, and he actually would go out to um, recruit. So, you know, often we hear about sort of diversity and lack of diversity in schools and in our school classes. And um, one of the um, common responses around that is that, well, you know, there's just not enough students of color in this area. Mm -hmm. And that might be true, but there are students of color in this country, Mm -hmm. right? So let's Mm -hmm. go out to where they are. Um, And that's something that the dean of our school um, was very committed to. He would um, go on tours. So he would actually mm-hmm. go to several historically black colleges. He would set up a booth and he would table and he would talk about Case Western and he would talk about, you know, this is the curriculum and this is what we do. And we're really committed to diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, our the med school had um, a good amount of students of color in each class. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so when I, I went there for a summer program, had a really great opportunity, great experience there. Um, and then when I went back for medical school, um, there were a number of students of color in my class, but then also the classes above me and the classes below me. And so you really just have um, a nice support network of students. And that was really because of his work. I mean, it really only happened that way because he was really committed to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just really sort of honor him for that. That's awesome. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. 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 Do other medical schools right now still do those type of tours? I feel like, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think um, I think it would be something to you know to maybe query around in the mm-hmm. um, the undergrads. You yeah. know, so I know that um, when I was an undergrad, we our um, our pre med advisor would um, set up um, med school. Um, query days or sort of like when people were interested sort of like kind of a med school fair Uh and he would invite um, medical schools from around the country to come and give a fair at our school and because um, the Clark Atlanta University is a part of a consortium of colleges so it's Clark Atlanta Morehouse College Spelman College at the time when I was there was Morris Brown University so there were four schools in the same area and so he would advertise the four schools and then it would be a big med school fair Mm -hmm. and so there would be medical schools that would come around the country and we would learn about these different schools Um, but the dean at Case Western would also come at other times Mm -hmm. and meet with students too Mm -hmm. and so Mm -hmm. it was just it was a really great opportunity for us to learn about schools around the country but also to see schools around the country that really were committed to diversity and really wanted students from our our schools to be there Mm -hmm. and proactively Mm -hmm going out to these schools yeah. multiple times to mm-hmm. make a statement that we do want you. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So Aisha, you have a lot of, you, you wear a lot of hats. You <laughs> are directing the Dream Youth Clinic. You teach us clinical skills. Congrats on the promotion. Thank the you. Thanks. She'll be um, helping to direct our clinical skills portion for the UC Berkeley UCSF Joint Medical Program. And you do so many other things. Um, and I'm wondering, with um, all these roles, what, I- what, are, what is one or some changes that you want to make in medicine? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I really I appreciate this question. Um, and I, I appreciate that you even posed it because I think that um, sometimes in, as we're going through medical education and when we get into our careers in medicine, it can feel like a very sort of traditional um, canonized um, career and system that can be very hard to change. Um, but I always think about, again, this is me sort of pushing up the, against those rules that someone created this, right? Mm-hmm. And there was a very mm-hmm. sort of intention and intentionality around creating it. Um, and so it can be dismantled at the same time and we can recreate it. Uh, and so I try and keep that in the front of my mind with my work that um, we don't have to follow the mold that we were given if it doesn't work for our patients, number one, Mm -hmm. if it doesn't work for our communities, and if it doesn't work for us, we can change it. Um, And I along your paths in medicine, people will question what you're doing when you're trying to change things. Um, and that people might even push back against what you're doing when you're trying to change things. But I think it's always really important to remember that someone created this for a reason and it can be dismantled for a reason as well. Mm-hmm. And that patients should really lead that um, motivation. Uh, yeah, so I do. I wear a lot of hats. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate those uh, yeah, hats, by the way. Yeah, I like it that way. I think I get, um, number one, I get bored with doing one thing. <laughs> and I also, um, I really don't like to work in a silo, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I, I talk to my kids in clinic a lot about sort of health being everything and medicine is really everything. And we've done a really good job in medicine, um, putting ourselves in a silo. Mm-hmm. I think it's a, uh, it can be a comfort zone for a lot of us in medicine that we only really focus on what is considered to be physical health, mm-hmm. um, which usually is usually the absence of health. So when we're really focusing on things, it's often like pathology, mm-hmm. right? So it's right. often when people have an issue or a problem and then we're there and like, that's our role to sort of focus on that pathology. Um, mm-hmm. But really health is, is, um, is sort of the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. And um, really the maintenance of, um, of well-being and that well-being is everything and so um, in our clinic in the dream youth clinic um, which is based in the Dreamcatcher youth shelter in downtown oakland we talk to young people that health is everything so health is when you're hanging out with your friends and you're having a good experience with them and uh, a positive connection health is when you're riding your bicycle here to come and and see us Um, Health is when you're creating a piece of art that you love. Um, That's all health and it all all contributes to your well-being um, because that's how we view health. And so we really tried to take medicine out of those silos and mm-hmm. incorporate all of those things into the clinical experience. So when you come into our clinic, you'll see that there's a big mural on the wall mm-hmm. that's like a living mural. And we really encourage young people to write on the walls and um, write something, draw something, create something. We've just set up some charging stations in our clinic um, that have Wi-Fi and really wanna um, encourage young people as a next step um, around sort of creating their, their own health messages that they can use to um, um, talk to their friends about health that we will also use in clinic um, to really be sort of youth-informed and youth-led. Um, 
we also I also really sort of believe in sort of taking medicine out of the silo in terms of medical education and the work we do here in the JMP. I mean, it's one of the reasons why I love being here at the JMP <laughs> um, because I again academia can even be more traditional and more canonized when we think about medicine. <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like the JMP tries to kind of be the anti of that, which I love, um, where there's space to at least have um, conversations about doing things different in medicine. Um, I think that um, there have been times where we've been frustrated here in the JMP around conversations that we've had about doing things differently, but I really appreciate us even being able to have those conversations Mm -hmm. because I think there's lots of um, medical spaces um, in academia where those conversations are not allowed um, and there is no space for change. And I, and I feel like there's a lot of space for change here and I really appreciate that. Um, So yeah, I just think it's really, it's important to um, try and kind of have your hands in in multiple spaces in medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, number one, maintaining balance. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can have your hands and it's sort of different percentages in medicine. I also do um, research, and so I do a little bit of research. Um, my focus of research is really around um, commercial sexual exploitation of young people and um, uh, thinking about health agency, sexual health agency for young people who've experienced sexual trauma in the form of sexual exploitation. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah, so I just feel like that's sort of really important in, ter- in terms of moving the field forward um, for those of us who have these new ideas to really be able to uh, implement them in our clinical settings and discuss them in academia with students and with and having projects in, in, in academia and then also to be able to do some research around that um, in in sort of the research setting. Yeah, yeah, that's so beautiful about mm-hmm. like health being about well being and not pathologizing. Yeah. Um, but it's also kind of scary. I think I've noticed during my first year in medical school is like how revolutionary that is. Yeah, when it shouldn't <laughs> be, mm-hmm. right? Like, and and that's scary because yeah. it's like we have so much more to go right mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah and al- yeah also just how that's like not taught to us it actually yeah. has to come from a personal experience right um or a self-reflection almost of mm-hmm. like how am i as a medical student or a physician really embodying what i'm kind of preaching yeah mm-hmm. yeah and yeah, people think of like oh that's like social sciences or that's anthropology mm-hmm. or that's more traditional public health that's not medicine mm-hmm. and it's like no that's all of these things contribute to medicine I mean, everything that we do contributes to our health, every single thing that we do. Mm -hmm. Um, So if we're talking about health, we should be leading with all of those things Mm -hmm. and really learning about how to integrate those concepts and really thinking about those concepts and thinking about the history uh, and how that affects well-being. Yeah. Mm Because that's what medicine is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think just going off the idea that, you know, things that don't seem like that seem kind of almost like common sense are revolutionary in medicine. Um, (laughs) As a woman of color in medicine, what challenges have you faced? And Mm -hmm. because of those challenges, what advice do you have to people that are pursuing medicine now? Yeah, I think the the challenges that I faced, or maybe something we were talking about a little bit earlier around people sort of wondering what you're up to. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I. <laughs> I was like, why, why was that so relatable? Like, I felt like we all just looked at each other. We right. were like, wait. <laughs> Wondering what you're doing or why you're doing that. And I always just think about, like, if I weren't a woman of color, would they be wondering what I was up to? Mm-hmm. Or would they be thinking about what I'm doing or what I'm up to is really cool? Mm-hmm. You know, is there automatically some vid- validity in what I'm doing um, as not not being a woman of color and um and i i feel like i've experienced that a lot um so again sort of thinking about um deconstructing um medicine and really sort of bringing in wellness um i've tried to sort of bring in a lot of these um, sort of social themes and creative themes, artistic themes, and people are often wondering, what am I up to? <laughs> <laughs> or like, how do you know how to do that? Or you know how to do that? You know, and so th- mm-hmm. this sort of this mm-hmm. question. So I just I just wonder, and I could be completely wrong about that. I could be wrong that maybe they'd be wondering what someone else is up to. But I just I feel like it comes it comes around a lot, and that um, that feels that feels challenging. Um, I have gotten a lot of support along the way in, in my career from having um, re- good mentors. And um, it wasn't always that way. Uh, mm-hmm. I think for a long time, for ha- because I had so those negative experiences in high school, um, sort of being in uh, mixed spaces, where it's not just all people of color, but sort of this mixed space, and uh, having those sort of negative responses in high school, maybe a little bit guarded around um, how to choose mentorship. And um, I realized probably a few years into my career that I really need to talk to talk to someone about my career path because I was having these sort of non-traditional ideas and wondering if there was space for them to fit in my career. I knew there was space for them to fit in my life as like a hobby, but Mm -hmm. I wanted my career to mirror my hobbies. Mm -hmm. I really wanted it all to sort of blend and not to, again, even live my life in a silo. Um, And so it was really when I met um, one of my very dear mentors and now my boss <laughs> um, at Roots Community Health Center. Um, at then, her name is Dr. Noha Abalada, um, who I have so much respect for. And um, she actually was one of the first people I interviewed with um, when I was right out of residency interviewing for a job back in the Bay Area. And she was at a different community health center at that time. Um, but we, we became friends very early on and I chose her as a mentor um, because she really sort of got what I wanted to do in medicine and really Mm -hmm. supported that even if it wasn't the same thing that she was doing in medicine Um, but really supporting um, what my passion was and where I really wanted to go and introducing me to different things and also like saying well you should think about this or maybe you should think about this and I and I can support you um and so I'm so happy that we've gotten to this place where I'm actually working with Roots and working for Roots mm-hmm. um and we're actually able to work together more collaboratively um in a in a more sort of structured way so so the mentorship has been has really been key and has not always been easy um, but I think it's also something that's really important along this path, really finding people who are going to support you in what you're doing, even if it's not what they're doing, but they can so sort of support you along your path. 
want to go back to something that you were talking about, that you wanted to meld your career with your hobbies. That was really awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you talk more about that melding and specifically what hobbies? Mm -hmm. I know we were talking about this during the break, but. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I read um, a quote some years ago. um, Like, if you do what you love, it it never feels like work or something like that. Mm -hmm. And um, that really resonated with me because I have a lot of interests. (laughs) 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 If you talk to anyone who knows me, notably my husband, um, (laughs) I am interested in a lot of things. (laughs) And I, I like to sort of pursue the things I'm interested in. So I, um, I love sort of art and creativity. Um, I love like visual art. I love going to art galleries and art openings and musical performances. And I love making art, macrame and painting. And I love fashion as an art form. And I just, you know, I'm just really drawn to art. I also love nature um and aesthetics and so just I sort of think about those things um and I always really wanted to blend my love of art and my love of medicine I also love medicine I love young people I love working with youth it's like the my most favorite thing in my life that I do um and I really wanted to find a way that I could blend all of that because there's only so many hours in the day. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And medicine, you know, to really do it well, it it can take up a lot of your time. Um, And so I wanted to find a space where I could work with young people and work with medicine, but also sort of blend sort of this art piece too. Um, And that's what we've been able to do a lot at Dream. Um, and so I, I'm really appreciative of the freedom to create and build out that space uh, with, without a lot of rules and barriers. And we can decide sort of what feels good to, to us, what the young people respond to um, in terms of the community partnerships we're going to engage in, in terms of the programs we're going to create, um, and sort of really blending that creativity. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so just to finish up, is there anything that you want to tell us that we haven't asked you about yet? (laughs) Yeah, I guess I think I just want to start off with, uh, again, another appreciation of this, this space, this media space you all have created. I think that it is, will, I think that it will be really impactful for, for women and men of color and women and men who don't identify as people of color um, locally, nationally, and globally. Um, I was at a, a conference a few months ago and um, there was a young person talking about the impact of um, social media and um, in particular podcasting um, in terms of information sharing and really sort of getting the word out and being this was a a med student who was in a a space where there were not a lot of med students of color um, but they actually had this community um, um, were able to sort of tap into this community online and through podcasting um, and connect with other students of color and so I think it's it's just really sort of life-changing what you all are going to creating and and Mm -hmm. some of it you won't know but just sort of know what you're creating is a is um is really key is will be really key for people 
And I think the other thing, my other sort of guess takeaway is to sort of follow your dreams, you know, um, whatever they are. I think that it's all possible, you know, and I think that we um, sometimes people of color can be discouraged from dreaming big and maybe not so much from dreaming big, but from but from actualizing those big dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that we are often encouraged to um, take the path that's more known and that will um, that that will lead you to this place of stability. And I understand where that comes from. I think sort of historically, our communities have been so destabilized um, that you know generations before us, like our grandparents were like, you need to go to college so that you can get a job, so you can buy a house and take care of yourself. Because that is um, that was the survival that they had to live in. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that, right? Because we wouldn't mm-hmm. all be here if they hadn't done that. And now we're in a space where um, we can also continue to dream beyond that. Um, so uh, appreciating that and respecting that and now encouraging this generation and the generations beyond to dream even farther than that, that we're in a space where we can create. So entrepreneurship, whatever it is that you want to create, sort of move into that space and create that. And if things don't feel good, talk about it. You know, we're really in a, a moment um, where it is okay to call out racism, it's okay to call right. it out, right? Mm-hmm. And to have allyship around that um, the and use our digital platforms and this sort of worldwide media that we have to really um, call out these injustices so that we are able to actualize those big dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can also happen in medicine too. Don't mm-hmm. be afraid to sort of do be outside the box in medicine as well. Yeah. Thank you so much, Aisha, for being here. And thank you so much for embodying so much multifaceted values. I feel like that's just so rare Mm -hmm. in medicine. And um, to me and Nicole and to like all of the people who listen to this podcast, um, we are just so thankful for the inspiration that you shared. Thank Thank you you. all. Thank you for having me. Thank you.